0: Welcome to The Little Sleep Show, a podcast about helping your children and family get the sleep you need. Hosted by Laura Meyercourt. Hello, and welcome back to The Little Sleep Show. I'm your host, Laura Meyercourt, and I am an infant and child sleep consultant. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the strange and interesting world of newborn sleep. And the reason I wanted to do a whole episode about newborn sleep is just because newborn sleep is unique to the way we sleep for like six months on. Six months on is starting to shape the way we sleep for the rest of our lives. So before the four to six month, you know, the dreaded sleep regression around four months, newborns sleep in a very specific way although it is very sporadic and there's no pattern to it. And I'm going to kind of talk about that today and try to help you understand why their sleep is so irregular and how we can help encourage healthy habits while still honoring the way that our newborn needs to sleep and eat, which is basically whenever they want. So I'm actually recording this episode for a second time. The first time I recorded it, it was way too long. And I didn't want to give you overwhelming amounts of information. I just, I always feel like with sleep, it's such a complex topic that I could talk about any one topic about sleep for probably days on end and still not cover it completely because sleep touches every single area of our lives. It's not just about the time that we go to bed at night. A lot of the decisions that we make throughout the day are going to contribute to our quality of sleep at night. And the same goes for our children. By age two, our children will spend more time asleep than awake. Pretty incredible, huh? And that makes sense if you think about how much brain development, how much skill development is going on. A lot of that is getting connected for them in their brains and bodies while they're asleep. Sleep directly impacts children's mental and physical development. Especially in those first two to three years, it is so crucial that children are getting enough sleep so that they can develop properly. But of course, it's just as crucial for older kids because they need the rest from the day. They need to be able to regulate their emotions, have good attention spans, all those things that are benefits of getting regular good nights of sleep. So newborn sleep, as I said, follows its own unique patterns. And that's because newborns actually sleep in a way that's different from older babies and adults. So newborn sleep is divided into only two parts. There's the non-REM sleep, which is called quiet sleep, and there's REM sleep, which is active sleep. So they spend about 50% of their time in each of those states, and a newborn sleep cycle is approximately 50 minutes. Now, the REM sleep is called active sleep because actually in REM sleep, In older children and adults, we do get a sort of sleep paralysis in REM sleep where we can't move our our bodies. Newborns actually can and do move their bodies quite a bit. They can um, move around, twitch around. They can make sounds, cry out, all while they're completely in this REM sleep state. So that's why your newborn is smiling and moving their arms around while they're sleeping. It's not that they are waking up it's just that they're in this rem sleep. And actually newborns often will fall asleep in this rem stage. If you see your child moving around and crying out and their eyes are closed, they're probably just in this rem stage and you can leave them go ahead and leave them alone. Now in the non-rem stage, this is the quiet sleep and this is where it seems like a lot more of a quality sleep. It's just a different type of sleep. It's doing different things within their brains and bodies. This Period of sleep is shorter for newborns just because it is technically it's more dangerous for them because they're not able to move themselves around. If they do get stuck up against a blanket or a crib bumper or the side of something, it's hard for them to be able to move away from it. And so the quiet sleep is really the danger zone for SIDS. Really want to make sure we have safe sleeping spaces and then we really will be confident that our children will be sleeping safely i'm going to talk about safe sleeping spaces a little bit later in the episode so by six months of age rem sleep is down to about 30 percent of sleep time so there's big things happening in that little newborn brain during rem sleep by preschool age the sleep cycle lengthens to about 90 minutes long between about six months of age when the changes happen and scheduling can begin to start you know you can begin to start a regular more regular schedule From then until about four or five years of age, the sleep cycle will lengthen from 45, 50 minutes to 90 minutes, which is an adult sleep cycle length typically. So that gives you a little bit of background on what is going on for your little one while they're sleeping and moving around so much. A newborn will spend a majority of their time sleeping and most of the rest of the time eating, especially within those first few weeks. So I believe it's about 18... 18 hours in a 24-hour period is a new newborn is going to be requiring. And then, of course, every time they wake up, they're going to be hungry. Their stomachs are very tiny. They're also, if you're nursing, they're feeding frequently so that they can build the milk supply. That's one of the ways that we build milk supply is to feed our little ones frequently, especially in those first few days and weeks. It's very important. That kind of sets the stage for the rest of the time. So really staying away from timed feedings for this age group. And even if your little one isn't nursing, they're still going to have that instinct because babies have a very strong survival instinct when it comes to feeding. They're going to have that instinct to want to feed frequently. So I do encourage you to feed your little one when they when they need it. There's no need to space feeds at a particular particular interval for a newborn. It's not important until later on. Something I'm going to talk about just briefly, circadian rhythm development, because this is important. Circadian rhythms are physiological changes that follow a 24-hour cycle, and the strongest influence on these rhythms is exposure to light. So circadian rhythms are the reason we feel more alert during the day and sleepier at night. So the absence of light, this is why I'm always talking about dimming the lights and lights off in very dark bedroom. The absence of light signals production of melatonin that triggers relaxation and gets us ready for sleep. Starting from a young age, we can start to set the stage for our little ones by using light and dark cues when it comes to wakeful time and sleep time. So that means in the morning, when when your little one wakes up, you want to get bright lights on, you want to open the curtains, let bright sunlight in as much as possible, expose them to actual sunlight in the morning, of course, I live in Chicago, so I know we have sometimes weeks without sun here. So just turn on bright lights. Even myself in the morning, as soon as I wake up and make that decision to finally get out of bed, I turn on the bright lamp next to my bed. And it really does help shut the melatonin production down. And it it helps me feel alert a lot faster. I used to use a dimmer light in the morning, and it would just take me longer to wake up. So as unpleasant as that first burst of light can be, it really does do something in the brain to help us signal it's time to wake up. So day-night confusion with little ones can happen because they don't have these circadian rhythms formed whatsoever. When they were in the womb, they were kind of running on your hormones because it was getting passed to them. And so they followed your circadian rhythm. Now that they're out and they're, they don't have the proper, um, their, their brains aren't completely matured in, in the circadian rhythm department yet. They need our help in figuring out the whole night and day thing, so... Some ways that you can help your baby with day-night confusion, and this is if your baby is sleeping for very long periods during the day and then awake at night. It's very common just because a lot of times the motion during the day of being carried or pushed around or, you know, any kind of motion will be very soothing to a newborn because they're used to that in the womb. And so that's going to lull them to sleep. And then being stationary is actually kind of can be stimulating for them because the absence of motion is not as comforting for a newborn. So that can explain a little bit one of the reasons. The, the circadian rhythms also play a part in it. Newborns cannot have a structured sleep schedule. Their brains are not mature. So we can teach them the difference between day and night. And one of the ways is by what I said, throwing open the curtains, turning on bright lights in the morning, keeping lights bright in play areas during the day, feeding your baby in a room with as much natural sunlight or bright light as possible, And then avoiding bright artificial lights for at least an hour before bedtime. Keeping dim lights on, of course, and I suggest this for children of all ages, even for adults. Dimming the lights before bed, even a half hour, is better than nothing if that's all you can do. But keeping those lights dim is just going to have a calm that will come over the household. It's just going to signal a calm. It's going to signal that we're winding down for sleep. And this, again, is going to be one, become one of the associations for your baby when it comes to differentiating. Taking a morning walk is a great way to help your baby differentiate. And then avoiding exposure to electronic screens um, before naps in bed will help. Because those screens, as I've talked about in previous episodes, that blue light is enough to shut the melatonin production in our brain off for, I think it's about three hours. So that can be really problematic, especially for little ones. So another way to help your baby with day-night confusion is if your baby is taking very long naps during the day, I'm talking about three plus hours, you want to encourage them to be more awake during the day and sleep for longer periods at night. So the way we can help your baby with this is to gently wake them after three, I would say no more than four, but three hours is a good Point where they've had a good restful sleep period. And you can gently wake your baby by unwrapping a swaddle, gently stroking their face, stroking their hands or feet, just very gentle. We don't need to startle our baby awake, but we do want to encourage them to wake up at intervals during the day so that they get exposed to the bright light and their body clock begins to set. And this may take longer for some babies than for others, but all these ways are ways that we can help them through this period. So having a pre-bedtime routine can also help with this because it will be another signal to them physiologically. So it'll signal their brain, but also it gives them some predictability. And as they get older, they'll really grab onto this bedtime routine and they'll know as soon as this routine starts, my body needs to start winding down for sleep because sleep is coming. And this is a conscious and a subconscious process once this bedtime routine is ingrained in your routine in your child's routine. And I'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end of the podcast. Something that's really important to learn from the beginning is wake windows. And this is something I talk about a lot because it's a way that I do help families get back on track if their schedule is off. We look at what is the wakeful period that is appropriate for your child's age. So A wake window is the maximum period your child should be awake from one sleep period to the next, and for a newborn to six-week-old, it's approximately 30 to 60 minutes. For six to 12 weeks, it is approximately 60 to 90 minutes. Three to four months is 1.5 to two hours, and five to eight months is approximately two to three hours. Now, wake windows are very general, and we use a combination of our child's sleep Signals so something like rubbing the eyes, yawning, zoning out, watching your child carefully, and then watching the clock. And it's a combination of these two things that will get your child to sleep at the correct time. There's no magic formula that someone is going to be able to tell you that's going to be perfect for your child. It's going to have to be a little process of trial and error because every single child is unique and their sleep needs are unique to them. It's going to take a little bit of experimenting and. Every family does this. When I start working with a family, I give them a general window and then I encourage them to pay attention to their child's signals. So the shortest wake window of the day is typically for most children between the morning wake up and the first nap of the day. So if you're a newborn to six week old, wake windows are 30 to 60 minutes. After 30 minutes, your very new baby might need to go back and be sleeping within 30 minutes. So that's pretty quick turnaround. So in those early weeks, days and weeks your little one is going to be sleeping getting up changing feeding and going right back to sleep and that's 100% completely normal just want to follow what your child is directing you and we definitely want to keep an eye on those maximum wake windows and don't let your baby stay awake for longer than that because if you get into an, a cycle of overtiredness now it's just going to perpetuate there's no quick fix for the overtiredness in children we have to it's a sleep debt that's accumulated and we have to repay the sleep debt. So if we start with a sleep debt with a newborn, if you're going to 6 months old and then you're realizing, "Oh my gosh, I've been my baby's overtired." there's six months worth of sleep debt that has to be repaid. So I really encourage you to look into those wake windows and really pay attention to what's appropriate for your child's age. And that's going to go such a long way in helping your baby get to sleep at an appropriate time, but also having a baby whose disposition is just more agreeable because they're not getting into those overtired times when they're more fussy and frustrated and difficult to settle. Because even 15 to 20 minutes for a little one, and for an older child for that matter, means the baby is going to be getting frustrated and tough to settle down at nap time. And then, you know, stress hormones do get released once a child is past their ideal sleep time. And it makes it so much harder for them to settle down because then those stress hormones are circulating around in their body and making them a little more hyper. When you're in those early days and weeks, it might be helpful to have a timer to signal getting your baby ready for the next sleep period. So you want to probably give yourself A good 20 minutes for that wind down routine so the diapering changing clothes feeding just be aware that that's going to take about 20-25 minutes and set your timer to be ready for that so that you can be putting your child to sleep before the end of that wake window hits so if your child is a newborn and their maximum wake window is about 60 minutes you want to definitely have them in their sleep surface or asleep before the 60-minute mark because 60 minutes is the maximum that a child that's newborn to six weeks should be awake. And it's not something we need to be paranoid about. If they're going to sleep at 62 minutes, that's okay. But it's just something to really be aware of so that we're not going way past those time frames. So sleep environment starts to become important after six weeks, actually. And there's, you know, that Newborns can sleep anywhere that's very true. And that goes up until probably about 3 months and then they really need to start being in a much more in an environment that's much more conducive to sleep. Before that, you can also practice it's never too early to start putting them down in a room that is darkened in a room that has white noise because white noise is actually going to be very comforting to a newborn it mimics the the kind of rushing sounds that were in the womb from all the blood and the fluids around them so that's why white noise is suggested for babies and the shushing sound. oh that's hard to say shushing sound <laughs> you know the sh- i use that a lot when i was taking care of little ones It really is very comforting to them because it mimics, again, that sound in the womb. Practicing putting a baby down in an environment that's conducive to sleep. You cannot go wrong doing that, getting them prepared for that. So as I said, darkness, really important, especially when when they start to get a little older. Definitely by three months, they should be starting to go down for naps in a room that is pitch black. That means get the dark, the blackout curtains, get the room darkening shades. I think the shades usually work a little bit better than the curtains because the curtains still let light in. There's many products on Amazon that you can use to darken your child's room. But this is so crucial. And there's a myth that's going around that um, I hadn't heard till probably about a year or two ago. And that is that children need to sleep in a room that's a little bit bright during the day so they can tell the difference between day and night. That's wrong. Children need to sleep in a room that's dark so that their melatonin can be fully turned on and that it can help them relax and sleep. If there's light in the room, if there is noise, if the child isn't in an environment that's conducive to sleep, it's going to be almost impossible for them to bridge the sleep cycle. So they're going to be doing that waking after every 40, 45 minutes. Along with the darkness, we want to also do quiet. So continuous noise, continuous white or pink noise. Um, Get yourself a, you know, a good sound machine. Stay away from the whale sounds, the bird sounds, even music, because the tempo can change, the rhythm can change, the sound can go up and down. We want something that's very consistent. It's very key for preventing unnecessary wakings due to outside noise. When one sleep cycle ends and another begins, there's the partial arousal, which is a period of ha- kind of half asleep, half awake. And if everything is not correct in the environment, this is when your child is going to wake up. It should also be cool environment, and we don't want to overbundle our babies. Newborns don't, you know, once they get past those first couple days, they don't need to be kept a whole lot warmer than we do. So we don't want to overbundle them. We should think about keeping their extremities warm and a co- and core cool. So we do want to make sure the little hands and feet are warm. But we don't want to wrap them in many layers. So, you know, a one a onesie, pajama, and a swaddle is, is good for a newborn. You don't need to cover them with all kinds of blankets. And definitely be very careful with using blankets. If they're sleeping in their own surface, we want to really keep blankets away. You know, people have asked me, well, can I tuck it into the bottom? You can do that at your own risk. But it's really suggested um, until a baby, especially... Can, can kind of crawl around, move around by themselves, lift their head up, that we don't want to put anything loose inside the crib because there is that risk for SIDS. So no stuffed animals, no blankets, no pillows for sure, no puffy bumpers or sides of bassinet. Actually, one trick I'll tell you is if you put your newborn down, kind of lay them on their backs and put them against like their arm up against the side of a bassinet or a crib It can really help to keep them feeling secure and safe because they're so used to that kind of compacted environment in the womb that a lot of times babies will sleep much better if they're kind of up against something. So safe sleep rules are A, alone, B, on their back, and C, empty crib or bassinet. So that means nothing in there, no siblings, no pets, no stuffed animals, nothing in there for a little one. We just want to be as careful as possible with these little little ones who can't really do much for themselves so I'm going to talk just briefly about swaddling swaddling can be really effective in helping teach your baby the difference between day and night because swaddling can be part of your little routine before nap and bedtime and it will signal that it's time to sleep once they know I'm getting swaddled that means sleep is coming pretty soon definitely encourage, particularly if you are nursing, do not swaddle your baby before you start nursing because having your child's hands massaging your breasts while they're eating actually helps oxytocin production, which then helps with milk production. So it's very important that your child is allowed to have their hands free while they're nursing. This is really important for building milk supply. So Swaddling your baby only during sleep times. So we don't want to keep them swaddled all day long. First of all, it's not good for their anatomy. And second of all, it, it, it let's save this for sleep time so that we can help them differentiate day and night. It helps them stay asleep when you're changing and feeding them because you can keep your baby's arms swaddled in there while you're doing diaper changes at night. It'll help them from waking completely sometimes if they're kind of half asleep, half awake. It prevents that startle reflex that a lot of little ones um, have that can be a big barrier to sleep. And it brings comfort and closeness. They love to feel cuddled and feel safe and secure. And if your little one is really rebelling against swaddling, you might want to try either watching a swaddling video, how to do it. I think Dr. Um, Karp has some swaddling videos because he's a big advocate of swaddling. Or maybe try a different swaddling product. There's ones that are really easy that you can zip them into. I know the Wumbi was one of them that we used a lot with families I worked with. But I also used the traditional muslin swaddles. You just need to know how to swaddle your child properly because there's a certain tightness to it that you want to get so that they do feel safe and secure and they're not able to get their work their arms out. But you don't want to do it so tight that it's not good for their bodies. So I recommend looking into that. Baby wearing, just briefly, I want to talk about it because I think it's so important. Baby wearing is something that I really enjoyed when I was a nanny because it, it helped the child sleep. It helped them calm down because they're close to you and they want to be close to you. But you can also get so much accomplished when you're wearing a little one rather than having to go and attend to them every five or 10 minutes if they're unsettled in a swing or in a little bouncy chair. If you're breastfeeding, it can support breastfeeding, you can do skin to skin while you're carrying your baby in a baby carrier. It can help combat postpartum depression by promoting bonding, and it can help with high needs children. So those are the children who need to be held constantly. I recommend it. If you're not doing it or you don't feel comfortable, again, it can have something to do with the product that you're using. I, in, 17 years of nannying was never able to successfully use one of those sling carriers. I always used a traditional, uh, like an Ergo baby carrier. I can't tell you how many times I tried to use the sling and it just, it was just too much for me. So use what works for you. Don't, don't buy something because it looks cute. Go out and actually test it at the store and see if it's something that you're comfortable with putting on by yourself during the day, because a lot of times there was no one there to help me and I needed to figure out how to do this by myself. And it's not easy with a little baby that you have to completely support. So do do go and try them out at the store. The final thing I wanna talk about is about comforting your baby and about babies crying. So I have a whole episode on crying. I really go into depth about why our children cry, why they need to be allowed to cry without us always trying to shush them. The key is to figure out what's behind the crying. And if you are interested in learning more about that, I definitely recommend listening to episode two. It's actually one of my favorite episodes, something I'm really passionate about. And I talk to every family I work with in a consultation. I give them a little bit of education about crying because we all have our own beliefs about babies and crying. Definitely dive into that if you're interested. I also forgot to mention in my safe sleep talk in this podcast, I do have episode four, which is co-sleeping and I cover safe sleeping much more in depth and I really recommend listening to that at least just to get yourself educated because you know co-sleeping is so frowned upon in our western culture even though almost every other culture in the world does it and there are some definite mm-hmm. safety rules and risks that are associated with it so if you listen to that podcast and it's something that you want to choose for your family but you're really scared about safety of your baby I give you the safe rules for co-sleeping with your baby So episode four on co-sleeping. Before I close the podcast, I just want to talk about soothing because new babies cry a lot. You know, there's definite ways that we can soothe a new baby that are unique and will help a baby versus an older child. Dr. Karp, who wrote The Happiest Baby on the Block, he created this based on the premise that human babies are born three months early and need a fourth trimester, replicating the conditions of the womb to finish developing. And it's true. Babies are born with um, immaturity in many areas, and the world is a big, loud, bright place to a newborn. So anytime we can replicate the uh, environment of the womb for them, they're going to be really comforted. So the five S's to to calm and soothe a baby are swaddling, and he says snugly and correctly. And again, you can look up Videos, i um, sure there's videos on YouTube, just happiest baby on the block, swaddling, and there'll be tutorials there on how to swaddle properly. And then the second S is stomach or side position, holding your baby on their stomach or side. And the, the key to this is holding them this way in a football hold, not putting them down on a surface this way. We always, always, always want to put a new baby down on their backs. That's the only safe position for a new baby shushing your baby again the shushing noises in the womb in their ear or even a fan a vacuum a hair dryer you've heard all those little tricks that parents use swinging to mimic the movement of the womb using short jiggly motions while always supporting their head and neck and then suck is the last one most babies will naturally relax while sucking on a pacifier a finger or breast so the breast is the most comforting place for your baby And they're going to naturally want to spend lots of time there. It's a safe place for them. And it's their, you know, again, it's their instincts. It's their source of food. So if your baby wants to suck for comfort or for food, I encourage that because it can only promote the bonding. And it's going to make your baby feel really safe and secure. There's nothing wrong with comfort nursing at any point. So I really encourage moms to do this. This is something that will naturally You'll find other ways of soothing your child and your baby, but comfort nursing I always encourage because it does promote bonding. So before we go, I'm gonna give you a couple tips for setting up good habits. You can start really early with these things. So bedtime routine, this is a calming, consistent calming routine before bed. So something like bath, dimming the lights, of course, change, feed, swaddle, you can read a book or sing a song and then put your baby in their sleep surface. I always encourage parents to also include infant massage. I think starting from a young age is really great. This does help promote bonding. Even This is a great way for the the non-pregnant or the non-primary parent to get involved with bonding with their child because oftentimes um, the parents who didn't carry the child in their womb can feel a little bit left out, especially if there's Um, breastfeeding happening so ways that you can figure out how to bond with your child like baby massage giving your baby a bath reading to your baby letting your baby touch your face those are all ways you can bond with your baby that are equally as crucial and important as breastfeeding it helps if there's two parents to get both involved in this nighttime routine if you can do that it's such a great time to spend that little bonding time with your child practice putting your child awake but drowsy in their crib or their bed or their bassinet This is just something at this age, after six weeks of age, that you could just practice. And again, practicing something doesn't mean you have to do it rigidly. There's nothing rigid happening with sleep at this age. So I want you to get away from that thinking. You need to listen to your baby and listen to your own intuitions as a parent. I always encourage people to try, if they want to try putting their little one down, drowsy but awake, try this at the first nap of the day because they'll often be the most sleepy. And it's just something to try. Put them down drowsy but awake. You can step back from the, the sleep area, see what your baby does. If they start to cry right away, absolutely go to them and comfort them. If they're fine like that, just see what happens. See if they fall asleep on their own. See if they lay there and play and talk to themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. But you do want to make sure they're in a pretty drowsy state at this age. When your baby wakes, don't run right away to them. You can give them a minute or two. If, unless they're hysterically crying, you can give your baby a minute and just see what your baby does. Again, this is just you learning about what your baby can and can't do. And you can try this again at different ages. If it's too early to do this at six weeks or three months for you, this is one of the ways I encourage parents to see what their babies are capable of, because our babies are capable of soothing themselves a lot more than people think. And again, this goes along with the whole crying conversation. Crying can signal lots of different things. It doesn't always mean that our baby needs us to come right away and stop the crying. Making nighttime responses brief and boring, practicing that from the beginning will really help. We want to show our children with our actions that nighttime is a time for sleep and it's a time for quiet. So, you know, avoid, you can of course comfort your baby, snuggle with your baby, but really avoid talking to your baby, turning lights on, bouncing them, singing to them, playing with them. These are all things that will stimulate your baby and kind of confuse them into thinking, oh, this is playtime. And setting that up from a young age can be really effective because then they'll be used to it by the time they start going through sleep disturbances down the line. My final tip is to have realistic expectations. So just from a young age, expecting your baby to need you so much for sleep. Babies don't know how to sleep. We need to teach them how. Everything from teaching them how their circadian rhythms work to teaching them the difference between day and night, this does not come naturally. We need to teach our children these things by involving them in the daytime routine, talking to them during the day, and telling them what's going on around them so that they do feel like they're part of the daily activity. Children need lots of encouragement to become better self-soothers. They must feel emotionally connected and safe, comfortable in their environment, getting the right nutrition no underlying medical issues, including teething. So there may be times your child is a great sleeper and other times they need a lot of help. And this is true for children in their teens even. So your child, they may be a quote unquote great sleeper, but there's going to be disruptions depending on what's going on with your child and what's going on in the home, if there's changes happening, if there's milestones happening, developmental things happening definitely expect there to be disruptions so that you're not surprised or upset by it. It doesn't mean something's wrong. It just means your child needs you. And especially in these early months, I really encourage you to just, you know, follow your instincts and um, when your child, when you feel your child needs you, go to your child. We shouldn't be trying to implement any rigid schedules, any sleep training whatsoever. For a newborn, there's just, it's not going to happen with the immaturity of their brains. Definitely treat them like a helpless little newborn baby because that's what they are. They need our love and support and holding and cuddling so much at this stage. And they need that with you so that they can build the secure attachment. The more you work on bonding and attachment now, and attachment also means when they're distressed, going to them, responding to them. The more you do that now, the better you'll set yourself up in the future when you do want to encourage your baby to try to fall asleep on their own a little bit more. This week, my connection for you is to think about how you feel about crying and what kind of things come up for you when you think about your baby crying. How do you feel about that? It's important to be able to separate the way we feel And the memories and feelings that it brings up for us when our children cry. And if you can do this from a young age, you're going to be a much more um, mindful parent for them. You're going to be able to help them process their own feelings and emotions, which is so important for good sleep. If they're able to process their emotions during the day in a safe place with you and know that if all their needs are met, and they're crying there's some other emotional release needed needed by your baby and you can support them by just holding them and being there for them without trying to shut the crying down I encourage you to think about these things and again if you're interested in learning more go and listen to my episode on crying I think it'll really shed some light on this topic for you that is my show on newborn sleep. That was kind of a long one, but there was a lot of information and I actually left so much out that I wanted to cover, but I'll cover in in, um, in another episode. I'll talk more about bonding with your child. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook, of course, Nest Family Sleep. That's my sleep consulting business. I do post uh, two or three times a week. I post about sleep and parenting and mindfulness and I also encourage you to contact me. You can contact me on Instagram or Facebook and send me a message and tell me what you want to hear about on these podcast episodes because I want to do shows that you guys want to hear about. So don't be afraid to suggest anything that's on your mind because a couple of people have already suggested shows to me and I've done them. The co-sleeping episode was actually inspired by a listener's comment. I hope you all have a great rest of your week and remember to be kind to yourself As parents, and as humans, we are all doing the best we can. Take care. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, follow us on Instagram and Facebook for tips on sleep and a whole lot more. See you next week.